Red Pill Politics on the Republic Broadcasting Network. And what I would like to ask all y'all to do, if you would, is to be sure if you're catching our stream, if you're not aware of our stream, you should be. There's two ways that you can uh, be playing around in text chat here and sharing information, making some new friends. And that is by going to redpillpolitics.chattango.com. There's people chatting it up over there as we speak. And I also throw out a live stream of every week's show on my Rumble channel. Indeed. So you can go to redpillpolitics.tv, find our Rumble, Rumble channel and all the social medias that blinks on and off. And you, too, can be watching a live stream of the show and interacting with the other uh, listeners. So um, please do get subscribed over there. I'd love to have you on my mailing list, too. I can fill you in on... Uh, all the weekly broadcast here, uh, the snarky musings that we put out and important things that are going on. Um, but I'd love to have you on the list. So redpillpolitics.tv is a place you can do that. Uh, let's get on with the show. Uh, we got another caller here on the line. I've been pretty good uh, for this new year. I Not once, I don't think one, not even one time have I left a caller uh, on the line at the end of the show, I'm going to try to maintain that record throughout all of 24, and uh, so far, so good. Uh, let's keep moving in that direction with Sherry from Kansas. Good morning, Sherry. Before you took our call and you, you gave out some good information, um, you were talking about inflation, food inflation, fuel inflation, isn't it interesting that, you know, although the, those aren't the only two commodities that are manipulated with the futures market, but they are important commodities, and they don't, like you say, they don't even count them in on inflation. I mean, they're so common. Don't you think that things like food and energy, which are literally daily requirements for us, why would they be disconnected from such an important economic uh, indicator. Yeah, well, we all know that. And it's, um, I don't even think that they ought to have a futures market myself. What, me, what do you think are some of the other commodities that are important that are not uh, being factored in? You mentioned that, that there were others. What are some of the others that you think are important? Well, aren't they basically um, the uh, metals market? Um, you know, they're basically selling paper 
gold and silver, that isn't that sort of a manipulation? Indeed. You know, and um, a lot of people aren't taking the uh, the paper gold anymore. They're act. They actually want the metal in their hand, and, and you're seeing the. Um, uh, the distributors and the sellers are starting to adjust a little bit, but yeah, that's uh, quite abnormal. I, if I had the money to invest in gold, I, I would not be putting it in uh, to paper gold certificates for sure. That and people that buy uh, gold and silver with the uh, uh, not just a you know little bit plus the face value or what gold is selling for, but the, uh, what do they call it, the numismatic? I don't see why anyone would want to invest in that, cause unless you're very, very rich. Uh, because no, if you've got numismatic gold and silver, you're not going to make back if you have to sell it. You know, right. I hear people selling that stuff, and uh, I just think, you know, that's taking advantage of people. Yeah, yeah. But, um, oh, I don't know. They probably uh, do. They do futures market and trees and stuff like that. I have no idea, but you know, I well, do know. Look at how the housing is right now. We, you know, two thousand eight wasn't that long ago. Uh, we had quite a little housing bubble that uh, popped, and it, it started growing again. But just this week, I read an article that I think it's 44% of uh, private property, residential property, was purchased by uh, those in, uh, the investors, basically Blackwater, 44%. Now, this is another bubble. When, when things let go, in 44%, nearly half of the housing stock is unavailable can you imagine what the the, uh, the price of a single-family home is going to be? It's, it's going to go up astronomically. And because it still will not be able to handle the number of people that require housing, this is going to incentivize your 15-minute uh, city mentality where government's going to come in as a savior and, and build on your tax dollars what will basically be your own prison, these little living cubicles, and you will wind up living in government housing of their choosing. But, uh, I mean, do you see a big bubble about ready to let go in, in uh, single-family homes given BlackRock ownership of 44% of the stock? Well, what I'm, in my, you know, what I want to do, or at least try to encourage the young people I meet, in this small rural community, is there's a lot of options in building uh, homes, but it takes a lot of elbow grease, you know. It's more of something only young people could do, but like uh, I've been looking at uh, all these houses that they make out of uh, sort of like they use bags like they did bunkers, but there's, there's designs that are that are quite attractive because they you know you plaster the outside 
And the inside, if you want, there's these one. There's a lot of different options. You know, the, um, uh, have you seen these where they cordwood homes? There's, I have. Yeah. Straw bale homes. Uh, yep. Earth ships, they, I think they used to call them. They were yeah. pretty popular out in Arizona for a while where they were using all those old tires that no one knew what to do with. And they right. were stacking them up, filling them with sand. And then, you know, I mean, that was all your walls and your foundation, which uh, really took away a lot of the cost. But I'll tell you something from uh, deriving from experiences that I've had, uh, we had a horrible flood. And I was on conservation in my town and we had a really nasty flood back in, uh, I think it was 05, uh, just wiped out a whole lower section of our uh, uh, town over here and the only place in this stream that was where the bank was not just eviscerated and wiped out happened to be a section close to the uh, road that crossed and it was all those tires many many years ago before the wetlands act before all these brainiacs came in and outsmarted themselves with environmental regulation old farmers and people like that had to stabilize their stream banks, and they used old tires to do it. And it was the only section of this entire section of the brook that wasn't just blown apart. You know, but nowadays, if you were to, go, if I were to go out and, and stabilize a stream bank with tires like that, I, I could wind up in jail if I didn't pay an engineer to immediately put it back to what it was. Really? Yeah. Did you did you like uh, publicize that at the time? That's the only part of the riverbank that held. Well, I didn't like actually. I did. I was a department head at the time, so of course all the head brainiacs with their white helmets and pocket protectors were out there, and I did. I pointed right at it, and I said, "I just want you guys to know. I mean, we're standing in an area completely devastated. The house next door had gravel halfway up its front door." Because the, the hilltop let go, came down through that stream channel, wiped every... I mean, it was bad. And I pointed to that one section. I said, the only segment of this brook is the one place that would have attracted an enforcement order. Uh, and, and I just want to point that out to everybody. All right? Sometimes common sense and uh, the basics should prevail. Um, and, you know, it, it did it fall on deaf ears? More than likely. You know, their, their bread and butter comes from regulation, not common sense. But, you know, myself, I was thinking about those people because I, you know, my phone rang off the hook when the flood happened. So I got to go up there and, you know, stare into the faces of people bawling their eyes out uh, because their homes were destroyed. Uh, their driveways were gone and they were trapped up on the hill. You know, I had to uh, deal with the realities of the situation when all of their engineering and all of their best management practices uh, didn't help those people one bit. It's was sad. it like a 100-year flood deal happening, or was it that these people that, were they just building too close to the creeks and rivers? Well, I mean, the, the regulations try to keep people away from those areas and, and kind of dictate how they should be managed. So the management of the channel is all dependent on regulation, but what happened was we had a, just an abnormally large rain event, and up on the hill, 
there were a series of three beaver impoundments. Two of them were on the property of fisheries and wildlife that were six and seven acres. And one of them was on private property in a fraction of the, the smallest one let go. And it came down with all the rainwater from the rain event all channeled down into this uh, this stream along with the beaver impoundment water. So they, we, it, it was a domino effect where it was bad enough. There was a lot of water coming with just the rainstorm. You know, the banks were full and some people's backyards were a little wet. But what happened when the beaver dam let go, it began to actually carve out soil material and took one person's driveway and deposited it on the front door of another. It was just a, a sad series of events. But the beaver dams, this is preventable. Because up here, if you go out and kill a beaver, you know, you wind up in jail. And they're rodents. They really are. And they create hazards up on those hills when they create an impoundment that can and often does uh, breach. All that water comes down at once. And that's your environmentalist for you. They don't care about the people uh, with, you know, three feet of gravel up against their house. They care that that rodent gets to make as big of a beaver dam as it wants a half a mile up into the woods. You know, uh, speaking of this weather event, um, I have heard that there are actually people that are in, somehow involved in uh, this weather manipulation and they're betting on, you know, that kind of factors into their uh, betting on the uh, futures market on food mm. because they can they can destroy crops, you know, with these weather events that who knows who that that they might actually be doing them when we hear that they're they're trying to keep us off the farms. Um, that's true. They they can create uh, extended drought periods, and, and then limit your access to water. Um, yeah, that's absolutely true. We somehow need to get a grasp on what they're doing. Their geoengineering efforts are pretty much going unsupervised. There is right. no public discussion about this. They've acknowledged that their their program exists. When do we get to talk about the science? Because, you know, you're now getting into areas that I know a little bit about, and there's nothing like that that can come down in the rainwater, into the soil and the standing water everywhere, every lake and pond and swamp everywhere, and not change the chemistry, not change everything, everything from the abiotic and biotic environment. Are, it's a chemical soup. And they react according to whatever is reactable in their environment. So we're seeing areas where uh, the U.S. Forest Service, like uh, uh, what was that video by G. Edward Griffin, uh, What in the World Are They Spraying? Mm -hmm. It came out and said that even though, you know, you just go from a pH of 6.4 to 6.6, you know, these that's uh, two orders of magnitude. This is logarithmic, that that type of a pH shift was causing flash kill and all kinds of things in the forest, where a perfectly healthy tree, all of a sudden the color starts to change, and boom, it's brown, dead. 
and they couldn't figure out what, you know, what in the heck was doing this. And it's minor uh, changes in the soil pH because aluminum is one of the things that they're spraying in, in, uh, as part of this. And I know for a fact that aluminum ions in water are toxic to all organisms. It's like a biocide. Aluminum ions are not good for anything in water solution. And we're seeing that that's also responsible for some of the pH shift. So I am very concerned about what we are doing in changing the environment, the the atmosphere, the air we breathe, the water, everything, based on these mass applications of who knows what. I mean, we've got some ideas, some people have done some good research, but, you know, that science has not ever been discussed, and we do have to because the long-term impacts could be quite significant. You might not be able to simply grow whatever you want just because the pH of your soil has shifted so much. Yeah, <laughs> and that's um, the thing. Before, I love the amendment. You can't have fertilizer. You're going to say you can't have lime to adjust your pH pretty soon. But you watch Monsanto and Bill Gates, they'll create a seed that can that's pH tolerant. That's what I think. Well, even before they started spraying all these this aluminum that when we became aware of it, I mean, your soils already, certain soils have a high content of aluminum in them already, right? I know clay does. Uh, some, yeah. And and so now they're putting even more. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, that. you're right, we got to get a hold of that, and I don't know how we do it. Because um, I'm looking at building some kind of covering, you know, so I can grow some food inside. Because... Yeah, I mean, uh, the best I think we can do is uh, to give your plants everything that they need as locally as possible. So the soil is critical that you just have a huge amount of organic material because it, it not only does it absorb and keep water... Um, you know, right there next to the uh, plant itself, but there's a wealth of micronutrients. Those little tiny little amounts of something that a plant needs just to survive, because that's usually the limiting factor. The macronutrients, N, P, and K, you know, sometimes you can be a little deficient in something, and the plant will grow. It just won't grow fast and grow well. But if you're missing a micronutrient, where just, and it's so much easier for some little bit of something to be gone entirely than a macronutrient. There's almost always some of it around, maybe not as much as a plant would like. But when there's simply not a micronutrient, things go bad, disease comes in and wipes you out quick. But organic material is a big thing. Uh, your water, if a lot of people in urban situations got to use public water, which means chlorinated water. Um, you know, there's treatments for that. Uh, pour your water and get it out uh, a day ahead of time because much of that will off-gas out of the water if you just put it in an open bucket and let it sit there. Um, but, yeah, these are things I hope we t- can talk about more on the show uh, is what we can do to protect uh, the plants and the gardens and things that we have uh, to keep them as healthy as possible because that's really the main defense is to give it everything it needs and as resilient to disease as you can. And, um, yeah, just be on the, the lookout. 
but somehow, some way, we have got to get the geoengineering out in the forefront where we can ha start having a talk about it. All right, we've gotten uh -huh. past the fact that it's a conspiracy because it's not. All right, we we can all talk that like it exists. Let's get one, into um, one quick comment, and then I'll get off. Um, I actually think that the reason that grazing animals eat leaves and chew on bark is because of those micronutrients, because the tree's roots can go so much deeper. Mm -hmm. You know, because sometimes you'll just watch where they'll eat the bark off a tree, and some with really rough bark. I've seen them eat them off of uh, hackberry and hedge. You know, yeah. Osage orange. They'll eat the leaves on the Osage orange. They can only get the... The ones on the towards the outside because of the thorns. But well, that's will... where the things are. The nutrients are the densest in the bark and in the skin. It's like a potato. Most of what's good about a potato is in the skin, in uh, the barks of tree. That's the only part that's alive, and it's a wealth of nutrients just in that outer inch. In all that wood, the heartwood. I mean, there's there's some I guess some nutrients and things in there. But not to most uh, things, unless you're a termite. <laughs> but yeah, okay, yeah, I'll get right. off. Thank you much for the call. I was All Sherry right, from Kansas, everybody. Um, yeah, so maintaining your soil is a big thing. And to be perfectly honest, the best situation you could set yourself up with is uh, to have uh, some kind of other livestock around chickens rabbits things anything like that that creates uh, both meat manure eggs things of that nature you know use the manure compost it bulk up your soils really well you know the raised beds uh if you've got soil that's marginal marginal or questionable you know go with the raised bed so you know what you have only put in the soil that you you know what's in it uh, but we we definitely got to uh, get better at that and reconnect with this. Remember a day our high schools used to have uh, an agriculture department, and many of them had a greenhouse of their own. And, and you know, the last of them are being torn down now. It's so sad to see that. Um, see, we're coming up on 20 after the hour. I don't know if we got a break or if we're going to move right away. Okay, we're, let's uh, jump right back into the calls, and who we got here? We got Earl from Texas. How are you, Earl? Uh, good morning, Dave. I appreciate you taking my call. How's things down in Texas? I appreciate you uh, contacting me with uh, some updates there from uh, the Texas convoy. Uh, how are things wrapping up down there today? Well, I left there yesterday about one. 15, 130, somewhere in that area. I, I only stood a couple hours. Um, give you, a, a, from my vantage point, what I have saw, uh, it was a fairground uh, atmosphere. Uh, it, the rally was held at a ranch far away from the border. And uh, you had your concession stands and that type of thing. It was very orderly, very peaceful. Uh, a lot of folks there. Uh, on the truck side of things, from my vantage point, I had only seen about 10 trucks 
you know, if you're looking at the fairground and you see the trucks and your semi sitting in the back who's carried down the rides or whatever the case may be. But um, there may have been more stage somewhere else. I do not know. Uh, they had a number of speakers and they had bands playing. And uh, But um, I appreciate them people putting it on. However, I think it would have been a lot more successful in stopping the invasion if the rally was held right on the Texas side of the fence. Demonstrating those folks on the other side that you're looking at thousands of people over here that's saying, no more. That may have rung a bell in their head saying, hey, they don't want us here. But uh, So I were the had, people on the ground there, were they aware that uh, in the background, you know, the Biden's uh, regime came out and said that they've identified a couple of individuals with the intent to go down and harm and attack uh, one of the migrant encampments? So did no, people I, know if this was real, if there was, and it turned out to be just two people they allegedly identified uh, but then uh, realizing that this could be them greasing the skids, setting up a situation for there to be an attack, and then label it on and blame it on uh, the group. More likely the latter. Uh, as I mentioned, it was very orderly, very peaceful, and they had, you know, tons of law enforcement uh, patrolling the area. They were stationary. They were patrolling uh it, it was, uh, I, I think, just greasing the skids, as, as you mentioned. Um, and I'm glad to see the turnout. That kind of defies the J6 uh, fear. And uh, basically, that's it. And uh, I'll let somebody else get on here, and I appreciate you taking my call. All right. Well, thank you for the uh, update and uh, have a safe trip back home. Um, yep. Thank you for that. Um, but yeah, I, I'm glad uh, things went smooth because it, we talked about this before, folks. You know, it's uh, this nation's had a good rolling boil. That's all there yeah, is. To yeah, it. Yes, it is. You know, and, and anything could happen, and we just got to keep our head on a swivel. Um, yes. So, all right, let's. Uh, Jump right into it here. We got a, uh, yeah, we got three minutes. So right after uh, we come back after the uh, the break at the bottom of the hour, we'll jump back in. Got a caller on the on the line here. A couple of them actually. We're doing pretty good today, uh, but we'll get to uh, Mark from New York um, after the bottom of the hour. Um, but right now, um, I want to uh, say that I think the the organizers of the group did a, a very good job at identifying their mission, their goal, what they were and what they were not. And, you know, some people were all on board and thought that was uh, just what was needed. Others didn't think it was enough. There's always people with opinions. Uh, but we, if you're going to be a part of a movement and an action, you're, you're either on board with it or you're not. The organizers did, uh, I think, a good job at keeping people safe, 
uh, maintaining creative control over their own mission. Right? Do not let the, the prostitutes or your detractors label you and define you. So they got out early and they defined themselves. And that's a good thing. And that's an example for all of us that we going into the foreseeable future, any of these movements that that are movements that are organic, that are, are threatened to tap into the ire of the American people, you know that the powers that be are going to be all over it, all over it. Right? And, and, and just be smart. I have discernment. And, you know, the group, I think, did a good job. There's a lot of different uh, people and organizations, good and bad, all saying they were going to go down there and they could all have different goals. Who knows? But we got to keep our heads about us in these uh, large gatherings. All right. Got a quick message from the station. This is Red Pill Politics. Listen to republicbroadcasting.org. We'll be right back in just a few minutes. With a caller from New York. Stay with us. Amazing days, but I ain't been living down worse. Swear I spend more Sundays drunk off my ass than I have in church. Hardcover King James only been saving dust on the nightstand. You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network. Real news, real talk, real people. Because you can handle the truth. Find your inner rebel at Dixie Republic, the world's largest Confederate store, located in Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. The anti-white, anti-Christ, anti-Southern world ends at the asphalt. Welcome to God's country. Log on to DixieRepublic.com to view our Southern merchandise from flags to T-shirts to artwork. At the store, browse through our extensive collection of belt buckles and have a custom-made leather belt handcrafted in our Johnny Rebs gun and leather shop. That's DixieRepublic.com where you can meet all of your Southern needs. Support those that support the network. Support Dixie Republic at DixieRepublic.com. Email ProudSouthern123 at gmail.com and let them know that RBN sent you. Here's some interesting news. Due to all the recent claims about possible nuclear wars, viruses, solar flares, and civil unrest, people are scrambling to prepare and stockpile food. But the one thing out of reach for many is an underground bunker. Until now. Because you can now have a 3D printed underground bunker in just one day. An excavator digs a hole in your backyard, and 3dbunkers.com shows up in a small truck and sets up their 3D printer under a tent completely undetected. They can 
print as many rooms as you want at a fraction of the cost compared to traditional metal bunkers. 3D Bunkers uses polymer concrete, which is five times stronger than regular cement. YouTube 3DBunkers.com and watch the video. The creators of 3D Bunkers is looking for a business partner that can help bring this technology to the world. And we need to protect our way of life without living in fear. Contact Brad at 3DBunkers.com for more details or visit 3DBunkers.com. February is Heart Month, and every year, Extendivite has a sale. This year is no different. Extendivite is regularly $69.95 plus shipping and handling for a two-month supply. In February, Extendivite is only $57.50 for a two-month supply plus shipping and handling. Extendivite is a combination of garlic, cayenne, hawthorn, bilberry, ginkgo biloba, valerian, and milk thistle. These ingredients work synergistically to improve your overall health. So don't delay. Join the Extendivite family today. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit extendivite.com. That's X-T-E-N-D-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Extend your life with Extendovite. For staying with us, here's Red Pill Politics. You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network at republicbroadcasting.org. Please head over there, check out the other great programs, hit that donation button because we are listener funded here. We're not funded by the corporate fat cats, which means I can talk about Agenda 21, I can talk about the bioweapon known as the COVID vaccine, I can talk about all sorts of stuff to help feed our brains and engage in uh, very much-needed discussions. Uh, Let's jump right into it. We've got some more calls here on deck. Uh, Let's go now to Mark from New York. Good afternoon, Mark. Yeah, good afternoon. Uh, Western New York calling to uh, make a comment on your water aluminum uh, statement of earlier. I learned learned that... uh, from Vince Finelli on USA Prepares, the hot water tanks use uh, aluminum anode rods that go down vertically into the tank. So basically, there should be trace elements of aluminum in your hot water. Uh, he said that um, I think the other ones are magnesium. And the real expensive ones could be stainless steel. It's just installed to reduce the amount of uh, corrosion that could develop in the uh, steel tank. 
uh, you know, therefore extending the life of the tank. Uh, he did say that trying to get him out is damn near impossible unless you got two men and a boy and big, long breaker bars. But uh, yeah, one of the problems uh, was, in, in particular, with hot water is in some of the older homes in particular where they might still have uh, lead solder in the pipes and things like that is that first initial water that comes out of your faucet when it's been sitting for a while uh, will have slightly elevated levels uh, can be detected. Um, I recommend that you run your water for a moment, you know, get some fresh water in the lines and and then uh, use it if you're going to be consuming it. Um, but yeah, the the older homes uh, were known for that. And things leaching out uh, in hot water is is different. Uh, the chemistry is different. It's like if you ever you ever maintain and service your uh, washing machine, hot and cold running water, you'll notice that the hot side always plugs up and gets rust and all kinds of nastiness in there more so than the cold water. More of the calcium lime. Well, the stuff that plugs up the uh, the screen that's in the uh, in the hose connector that goes to the back of the washer. Yeah. But it, so so apparently the recommendation was if you're using water for cooking, uh, use the cold water side, unless you, you know you've had your water tested. You want to test the the cold side, and you'd want to test the hot side. I know for me, being on the second floor, it takes a good three gallons before I get good hot water. So uh, that's, uh, you know, it's just in a two-story dwelling. Yeah, and that's, so that's all the water that was sitting in the pipes has the opportunity to absorb whatever's there. Like I said, the older pipes may still actually have lead in them. Uh, modern homes don't have that. Uh, but, yeah, that's absolutely correct. And those stuck with public water, what you get is what you get. Um, what I mentioned earlier about the chlorine, for those that, that have public water and it's chlorinated, you know, I can smell the chlorine when it comes straight out of our faucet here. And after I've left it out for a couple of hours, it's undetectable. Some of it goes away. But there's still a lot of nasty stuff in there. It's because you can't taste it or smell it does not mean that it's not there. You know, standing yeah. municipal water, uh, you know, that's what I do for the animals is I I fill these buckets and uh, let let the water stand for, you know, at least uh, six hours, maybe longer, uh, to let the chlorine evaporate from the water. Yeah, exactly. That's all I got. All right. Oh, well, thank one, you. one last thing. Vince, Vince Finelli was going to have an announcement on his uh, program this Monday, so on another network. So maybe, I don't know, I think it's a programming network but uh, issue, but uh, I'm kind of curious as to what he's got built up. Thank you. Yeah, I'll have to see. All right, thank you for the call. That was uh, Mark from New York. Um, yeah, we got to be careful. Those old homes, you don't know. I mean, unless you've gone down and inspected everything uh, to know what you have for plumbing, 
It is entirely possible you have old copper pipes and metal pipes that the, the solder that was used was lead solder because it's not allowed, not used anymore. And I'll have to admit here, I'm not a big one for government regulation, but, you know, there's room uh, for some common sense regulation and things. And this is probably one of them. You know, no, I don't want lead in my water. It, it is not good for you. So, yeah, to make sure that that's understood amongst those that build homes and provide potable water to us, um, you know, some regulation might be called for. You know, that's why when you go to the store to buy a nut or a bolt for something, that every gadget, every piece of equipment ever made, they didn't just randomly decide that they're going to adopt their own uh, uh, type of thread. So that only their nuts will fit on them. No, they, they were standardized so that, it, you know, government came in, provided a little bit of common sense regulation and standardization, all right, to regular, uh, the, the, like the Commerce Clause, to keep commerce regular, to regulate commerce. It doesn't mean just put layers and layers and layers of regulation, but to keep it regular to the benefit of we the people. And, and when regulation and law, ordinance and code go beyond that, that, that's just government being, you know, in any state, trying to micromanage everything that you do. I don't know. Uh, let's see who else we got up here. Oh, it looks like we got Art from Georgia again. Art, how are you? Hey, Dave. Um, two things. First of all, I am so glad. I do not have city water. I have a well, and you literally got to go out back and drop a bucket down a hole and draw water because I ain't got no indoor plumbing, which means no hot water heater, no none of that, composting toilet, all that good, happy stuff, solar shower. Wintertime's a little bit difficult for showers because there really is no such thing as a hot shower in the winter. I don't care how much solar shower you got going on. There's no such thing as a hot shower in the winter. But you make do if you want to uh, make sure you got good, healthy water. Secondly, you mentioned leaching. Now, this takes me back to the tire comment. I have a real problem with tires. The reason is pretty simple. Tires are made with a series of chemicals, among which are benzene, styrene, formaldehyde, and lead compounds. Now, when tires sit on the ground for any length of time, they are going to leach these chemicals into the soil. So if you build an earth home, for example, using tires, your, all your ground all around your house is going to be polluted. It's not going to be good for nothing. You don't want to grow any food in there because what's in the soil, it's in your food. You don't want to use tires for raised beds because, again, this leaching, what's in the soil, is in your food. And when you said you used tires to shore up the bank of that river or whatever it was, yeah. well, that leaching also gets into the water. Now it gets into the fish, and again, you have that same cycle. Never, ever, 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 ever use tires for anything once they come off your car, pay to have them disposed of. 
Don't reuse them in your yard. Don't use them for your housing. Do you really want to live in a house that is leaching chemicals all around you? Well, I don't we think gotta, so, especially we, if you got children. We got to expound on this, uh, you know, discussion a little bit. I would agree. I would never use tires as part of a raised bed for my garden or anything like that. I wouldn't have it near any areas that are uh, food and water related. But what I would do is use them to uh, make a loading dock off from my driveway to create a, a foundation for an outbuilding uh, to make something that I could drive my car over and work underneath the vehicle. Um, I would use it for certain things, but the concept of leaching is true. Everything you said, all materials, PVC pipe, people think are inert. Yep. And basically, once it's PVC, it's that way forever. But after about 30 years, it starts to decompose, and its yep. breakdown constituents are very highly toxic. Now, yep. that being said, there is a period where it's stable, then it gets unstable and begins to leach, and then... What is leachable has leached. Now, the next discussion, I, I've specifically worked on a, a number of constructed wetlands where we took the effluent from underneath a landfill. We took uh, raw sewage out of the Marlboro wastewater treatment plant and using plants and soil media, we were able to, I, I almost created potable water. If I had uh, stuck around long enough, created another tertiary uh, um, uh, system to polish off what we put back into the river, um, it would have been potable. You could have actually drank it. And this right. was there's using plants. Yeah, there's plants. There, there's soil microbes. There are chloridogens, things that like yep. chlorine. They eat chlorine. So That's why it's a composting toilet. Yeah. Now... It, I really wish science would explode here because I think there's plants growing, microbes that live in the soil that may be just, you know, existing in low populations out there all over, just existing. But if they were uh, identified and then cultivated to treat soil, because you'll, you'll, what you'll find, I think, is that when things like tires might leach something out of them, in, in into the surrounding soil, that that soil habitat, that environment, the microbe populations are going to shift. They always shift it towards whatever is favorable for the food that's in the area. So right. over time, microbes and things that actually know how to break down some of those complex molecules will begin to populate. So it's a matter of whether something leaches and just stays there in the immediate area where microbes will eventually break the stuff down, or whether it's just shuttled out and, and distributed. You know, like the old, one of the original environmental uh, slogans, if you can believe that, was the solution to pollution is dilution. And that's what made themselves feel good when they just went and dumped stuff in the ocean or, or injected them in, right. into right. water supplies. Uh, but yeah, I think there's, room for us to be able to i don't think there's a way to not have a footprint on this earth everything that we create no, if we could keep them stable where you created a plastic that was plastic like forever but i don't know that there's 
things that do last forever. And when you do strive for that, you get those forever chemicals now that never change. We, we've not identified microbes and things capable of uh, breaking those bonds because they were created artificially under lab conditions. You know, it, it becomes a bit of a stretch to think that something natural will be able to deal with that. Right. And, and yeah, they're, they're over time, these chemicals will become inert and the microbes will break it down and make it reusable. You know, and I, like I said, I do a composting toilet. So I turn my compost into fertilizer. I mean, I just, I, I, I'm, I'm too cheap to buy fertilizer. I would much rather, I produce enough fertilizer that I don't have to worry about buying fertilizer. But, you know, when you start talking about things like tires and such as that, you know, if I would never use them to build a raised bed or any kind of anything that's no. going to be used for food or anything like that, because yes, while given enough time, the microbes in the soil can break all these leached chemicals down, the benzene and styrene and all that can break it down. I'm not trying to wait that long because that takes a long time for that to happen. So if you're trying to get started doing some homesteading or whatever and you need to get your crop in the ground because you need to start getting your food supply stocked up, getting your canning done, and all of that so you can get prepared. You don't have time to wait for that soil to become usable again. So, you know, and and go ahead and use them for building earth houses and stuff like that. Just don't plant anything around the house that you plan on eating. Right. Um, (laughs) Or, or, you know, I mean, it's one thing, you know, if you want to plant some daisies, because you're not going to eat daisies, can't eat daisies. Daisies are not, you know, it's not like uh, daylilies or roses or, so, or hostas or something like that that you can eat. You don't eat daisies. But, uh, you know, just don't use them anywhere you're going to be doing food. Or I, in yeah. fact, I wouldn't use tires within, say, 50 yards of my garden beds because yeah. I don't no, know I how far that leaking will go. Uh, I'm not suggesting that uh, people do. I think there's other more beneficial things, like for the raised beds. I'd recommend going out and, and cutting down some uh, oak logs, drill into them, and grow mushrooms in, in, in your actual uh, frame of your raised bed because those soil yep. microbes and the biome from mushrooms uh, is incredibly beneficial. Uh, but thank yep. you for the call. I got one more to uh, be able to stick with my uh, my promise here. Um, Tom from Utah, how are you? Good. In 2008, a family brought their nearly dying baby to me, and I, in the process, I identified the poisoning of, of the manufactured mobile home industry. So anybody who lives in a manufactured or mobile home or any home, they need to see the information that I exposed and literally took to Washington was not very gratefully received because that created a li- liability issue. But anyway, go to gassingamerica.com. Also see the uh, article that was written in the Desert News called In the Air. That's in the air.news. In the air.news or just Tom in Utah.us will get you to Gassing America or News will get you to that uh, in-the-air article. Sorry, I just woke up. I'm stumbling over my tongue. Uh-huh. 
That's all right. I'm trying to type in uh, these URLs for people um, as you're giving them to us so we can get those out there. Yeah, a tenth of the nation live at risk to subtle asphyxiation. I actually was taken down New Orleans after Katrina, helped them identify the poisoning problem in those FEMA trailers. I remember you talking about this. Now, is there a a year or an era where they stopped uh, manufacturing these mobile homes where it's uh, safe to actually own them now, or are they still unsafe? They have not changed the uh, coding, uh, how do you say, allowed by HUD, because if they change the coding and people notice the change, they're going to figure out, well, that's why my baby died or that's why my elderly parents suffered. Yeah, I remember you talking about the FEMA trailers down there, and they just became uh, completely infested with uh, black mold, and uh, people were getting quite sick. Yeah, so the two real toxic gases that was, you know, um, in those trailers were number one, formaldehyde from the building materials, but also the formaldehyde created when you burn a gas stove or a propane stove. That little yellow flicker in the flame is evidence of the creation of carbon monoxide and formaldehyde, which is nothing more than wet carbon monoxide. Uh, now, I, my mother used to be a houseplant fanatic, and she had spider plants all over the place. And I found out later that they actually hyperaccumulated a lot of ketones and aldehydes and things like that from fabric and things uh, that are common in the house. But they were really good for indoor uh, air quality. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it would solve all the problems of things that are leached out inside of a, a, a high-insulated mobile home, but uh, I do believe that plants on the inside of your home do, in fact, um, increase the air quality. I do believe that. See, I, I had identified the cause of near-death and a death in a family in 2001 in a, in a regular home. It was carbon monoxide because they had... Somebody had put in a furnace and, and plumbed the exhaust out the sidewall rather than to the roof. But then when I had this family contact me in 2008, that opened up the Pandora's box of 34 million at least being subtly or seriously injured in the manufactured mobile home industry. Of course, let me tell you, I was not uh, accepted or greeted with uh, great pleasure when I went to Tulsa to uh, meeting of all the manufacturers they said well yeah we know that this is violation of code but we're we're under the regulation and contracts of hud so they knew that they were creating a hazardous situation but would not dare risk offending hud yeah well that's a problem right there great big bloated uh federal agency that we do not need uh, Tom, I got to wrap up the show, but I appreciate your call. Uh, I do remember us talking about this before. Um, so good stuff. I got your websites up there in uh, text chat for people. Uh, but thank you for the call, Tom. Um, appreciate that. Tom from Utah. I want to thank all the callers here today. Uh, Art from Texas, Sherry from Kansas, Mark from New York, Tom from Utah. Gee, who else did I forget? 
Yeah, are from Georgia, Earl from Texas. Uh, thank you. Thank you to the listeners out there. All right. Appreciate you spending the morning and part of the afternoon here uh, with us at Red Pill Politics. i uh, got some cool stuff coming up in the future. Like I said, I'm going to have uh, some shows on gardening here pretty quick. Um, if you want to get involved, i got a uh, workshop series. It's going to be starting off. I've got an introduction uh, coming up on the 19th. And you can find out more about that. That's going to be with Tom DeWeese of the American Policy Center. All right. You can uh, get signed up for that at easternregion.constitutionparty.com. All right. Um, Other than that, I guess I'm going to see you guys next week. Same time, same channel right here at republicbroadcasting.org. All right. Have a wonderful weekend. Fly flags high. Keep your powder dry. Love each other out there. We'll see you next time. going to wait till the cows come home to get your new ease-off drop-and lift? What in the world is an ease-off drop-and lift? Our ease-off is a new tool to increase production for your meat processing company that will get that whole hog or half a beef on or off your rail with our remote control. 
That sounds great, but can I afford it? Sure, and the ease-off installs fast. The effortless operation will reduce fatigue, speed up your line, and increase profits. Okay, I'm convinced. Where can I get my ease-off? Go to easeoff.com. That's E-A-Z-E-O-F-F.com. And hurry, because we're offering free shipping for a limited time. Easeoff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows, too. Easeoff, LLC, 417-932-6419. You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. truth.